When you're an entrepreneur with a great idea, it can be daunting to find funding. Startup Raven takes the process out of your hands by helping entrepreneurs connect and learn about potential investors all in one place. Without any long-filled forms or thousand questions, Sign up for early access at StartupRaven.com. Welcome to StartupRad.io, your podcast and YouTube blog covering the German startup scene with news, interviews, and live events. Hello and welcome, everybody. This is Joe from StartupRad.io. And today I do have a startup here from lovely Switzerland. Grüezi Daniel, how are you doing? Grüezi, uh, Joe, it's uh, great to be uh, here on the podcast with you and I'm doing very well. Thank you. Lee, my pleasure. You are the CEO and co-founder of Board Owl, meaning like the Nightbird Owl, uh, based in Switzerland and you're one of three co-founders. As always, we first go a little bit through your CV before we talk about the real startup. I have seen you attended the University of Greenwich, Greenwich in London and the Open University. How was it to go to university in London? I assume a little bit expensive. <laughs> Actually, back then, and I'm showing my age a little bit, um, it was not so expensive uh, back then because it was still very much paid for by the state. Um, so as you might hear from my accent, I am uh, originally from the UK, uh, I'm a mongrel or hybrid, depending on which way you see it. Um, so a mix of uh, Persian, British and uh, Swedish genes. And so uh, studying in London was, was uh, obvious for me. We'd spent some time in Switzerland before that as a family, had returned back to the UK and uh, university Yeah, it was a, it's a bit of a mixed bag for me. So in short, um, I've done a fair bit of it, but I never concluded it. I uh, started, did a year, um, managed to get a, a job in technology, which was meant to become a summer job. And uh, they convinced me to stay on, paid me a lot of money because there weren't many tech people around then, especially ones who could speak German. Um, and they convinced me to stay on. Uh, I tried to go back to university, but it just didn't. The, the business bug had bitten me, so um, so I, I cut it off. I see, I see. And interesting thing is about uh, Persian heritage, you can celebrate New Year twice a year, right? That's right, with Nowruz. Don't ask me exactly when it is. It's coming up soon. But <laughs> I always know because I receive a whole flurry of messages from my uh, distant relatives. The, the interesting thing is, first, there's the official New Year, like January 1st. Then there's the Chinese New Year. And sometime after that, there's the Persian New Year. Uh, I I have spent New Year in China, but I have totally no clue how the Persian New Year is celebrated. Maybe we get into that after the podcast recording. Sure. Um, talking about the jobs there, I've seen you've been a analyst in banking with a UBS typical Swiss bank. Uh, where have you been and what have you been doing there? Sure. So the, the, my career started in, in technology, really, which was a, um, a bit of a legacy thing. My father was a, an engineer, uh, first in the automotive industry and then transitioned into technology. Um, he was working for UBS. Um, he was always a big believer in not giving 
me things per se or money, um, but helping me with opportunities. So I spent three summers when I was a late teenager, uh, when all my friends were at the beach or in the swimming pool, I was at UBS working over the summers in, in technology. Um, and that was my first job there as well. It was as, a, as an external. Um, I was a, an analyst, a very dry tech role, um, but it, it was the good foundations of what was to come later on. It got me the transition into the banking world. And from there, somehow you moved on to Goldman Sachs, um, working in information technology, also uh, an analyst, I do assume. What did you do and where? I assume London? Actually, that was uh, mainly based in Zurich. Um, I traveled a fair bit, so I uh, spent a lot of time in London and in Geneva. Um, it started out as a pure technology role. I was doing support, so I was rolling out you know, new software and things like that. Um, then transitioned into more of a market data role, so linked to Bloomberg, Reuters, and those kind of things to kind of feed all of the trading systems. And then finally, uh, before I left, I transitioned into uh, business analysis and project management. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing is, from there, somehow, you turned a headhunter. How on earth did that happen from an <laughs> analyst in the banking in Zurich to a technology analyst and then a headhunter? So, so it, the next step for me would be logically either to go into VC or be a tech entrepreneur yourself. But how did you become a headhunter? That's a very good question. Um, and back then, I, I loved technology, but I was not that excited about how everything is, is bolted together. So I loved using it. I loved what technology can facilitate, but I didn't necessarily want to be in the trenches of technology anymore. I wanted to be, to be using it. It was important to me to be on the front of a business. I knew I loved dealing with people. I was very interested in people. Um, and yeah, I kind of, I guess I wanted to be front office, you know, building, driving things forward um, and being responsible for, for P&L. And it was just really through chance. So the company that had hired me into Goldman, into that tech role, was at the time a very specialized technology recruiter. Um, they'd heard that I had left Goldman um, and I'd decided to do that in order to, to seek a different path to go into, I want to go into a smaller company or do something completely different. And they approached me with the proposition that I build up their financial recruitment and executive search business, which uh, initially I laughed off and then realized that actually it ticked pretty much all of the boxes I'd set, even though I hadn't thought of that as a, as a career path. Repeat what I learned about you so far is people yay, technology nay. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, I love what technology can do, but, uh, but I don't need to be building it myself. I see. And and then somehow you went back into banking as instructed products, and then you went back to headhunting. How did this happen? Um, so what happened was I had obviously, I mean, headhunting is all about network and staying in touch, being proactive. And so I'd stayed in touch with uh, many of my, my ex-Goldman colleagues and happened to be contacting one of them at the right time um, when they were about to build a new a new investment bank. So one that was actually one of the earliest fintechs I, I know. So um, uh, it was really about building a 
technology platform to um, give clients the ability to self-price structured products with the use of derivatives and everything. And my first interaction with them was really to, as a headhunter, bring them in a number of people. And um, at some point, the CEO back then said, look, you, you're clearly a good salesperson because you've managed to convince a number of people to leave their blue chip firms and to join our little startup. Why don't you join us as well and and uh, and help us build a company and, and sell structured products? And for me, it was always a bit of an unchecked mark. I slipped through the net into Goldman somehow without my, my uh, completed university. Um, but it was, that was a barrier to me getting into, uh, those kind of, uh, derivatives sales or trading jobs. And so when that opportunity came knocking, I thought I'd give it a go. Um, you'll see from my profile that I was there for a limited amount of time. It's about nine months. And the reason for that was because it turned out to be not quite as fulfilling as I, as I thought. I realized that, uh, as you said earlier, people, yay. Um, I really, I really do. You know, I'm so interested in people. Um, I love the fact that uh, when you're working with the right companies who really value people as their number one differentiator, then you can have a real difference on those businesses and you can have a real difference on the lives of the people that you uh, you hire into those companies. So that's why I moved back. And uh, as you'll see, I, I, at that point, moved over to Dubai to set up the, um, the Middle East practice um, for my old employer. And I assume it was a little bit too hard for you because then you came back and co-founded the executive search company that actually you are still a part of where the startup bought all is a spin-off. But before we get into that, you also co-founded a school in Basel. How did this happen? <laughs> So, um, actually, as with Bordel, and we'll get to that in a moment, um, I think, you know, many people start businesses through uh, scratching their own itch. And it was really that case with us as well. So, my daughter's um, play school was bought up by a, a larger, I believe, private equity-backed group. Um, it was previously a fantastic place, um, organic food and, you know, wooden toys and a lot of uh, connection with nature and things like that. Um, and it, it turned into a, a, an awful place. Um, so you know, half the staff fired and everything. And long story short, we decided that the time was just right to set up our own um, play school, um, pretty much for our daughter, um, and to build a business out of it. So we were fortunate that uh, a couple of the very good carers from the old play school joined us there um, as we didn't have the know-how um, and uh, and of course a number of the parents of the other children from the same place then also followed and, and became our first clients and we were really able to, to build a, a wonderful place uh, with very strong values um, connected to nature um, and yeah really a, a, you know it's, it's interesting actually looking at it that way because I realized that You know, with my career of, of headhunting and focusing on people's path through their later stages in life, the addition of a nursery uh, and daycare was actually not too dissimilar, but looking at it at a slightly different stage of life as well. So uh, helping young children in their first steps of development early on. I've heard people um, also aligning 
working with top management, working with a group of kindergartners, but that's a completely different topic. Um, <laughs> and then you came back to Switzerland to co-found Dart, the executive search you're still a part of. And when I look mm -hmm. into the background of your video, there is a snowboard. So I assume you moved back to Switzerland for the very simple reason that you got tired of water skiing and want to do some more real skiing. Little disclaimer here. I once tried in Texas um, the, the water skiing and I was only diving. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I did love the, uh, the kite surfing and, um, and, uh, wakeboarding and everything else that Dubai had to offer. Uh, but for me, for personal reasons, it was the right time to, uh, to relocate to Europe. Um, I was to and froing really between, um, between London and Switzerland, but ultimately, yes, the mountains won. So, you see my my brand new snowboard, uh, the latest one to my quiver, uh, waiting there for its first ride right now. Um, I love everything to do with boarding, whether it's snowboarding or other types, um, as well as uh, paragliding um, and spending time with uh, with my kids and uh, and both dogs. Mm -hmm. And we'll get into Dart after a very short break. Hey guys, this is Joe from StartupRate.io. Today I want to introduce you to our newest partner, Newsly. Newsly is an all-in-one audio app for iOS and Android. It picks up the top trending articles on the web on topics you choose at any given moment and reads them to you in a natural human voice. We are also available there with all of our podcasts. Subscribe now and get one month off the premium subscription with the code STARTUPRAD, S-T-A-R-T-U-P-R-A-D, on newsly.me. And we are back. So 13 years ago, you came back to Switzerland and co-founded an executive search company called Dart. Um, and can you talk a tiny bit about what you're doing in Dart and how this sparked the idea of the Bard Owl? Yeah, with pleasure. So we're a, uh, we're a boutique firm, um, or Dart. Um, so we have our headquarters in Zurich. Uh, we have a, um, uh, we have an additional team member in Barcelona, hoping to add one or two there as well. And Dart itself is a highly specialized search firm. So we cover financial services only and within that uh, even more specialized. So we cover private markets um, to basically investment management, fintech and family offices. Um, how did we get to Bordel? Um Again, it was it was scratching an own itch. So about seven or eight years ago, so about five years into my journey with uh, with Dart, and um, at this point, at least to me, it still felt uh, startups were not so cool, not regarded to be cool, and rather regarded to be pretty high risk. I was reaching a point where I I felt I wasn't getting the company as far as I would like to get it, and I was missing some really high quality senior people. My big issue of it was that most of them were just too expensive and they saw joining a small, a small firm um, as just too high risk and I wasn't going to pay them their banking salaries. So 
The solution for me at the time was to put together either a corporate board or an advisory board, uh, because I realized that actually if I'm organized um, and prepared, then I would be getting most of what I was seeking from such a senior experienced person from just a few meetings per year. I just wanted to tap into their wisdom, into their expertise, into their life experience and into their networks. And I didn't need to bring somebody into the company uh, full time in order to do so. So uh, we built a, an advisory board back then because as a small growing company, it was a little bit daunting to have the idea of, you know, perhaps reporting formally into a, into a corporate board who might even potentially fire me. <laughs> so um, it became an advisory board in the first step. And, um, and in short, the experience was fantastic. So in good times and bad, uh, they proved to be excellent sparring partners, uh, challenged me on various parts of the business. Um, they brought expertise where I didn't have so much. I mean, I'm not an accountant or anything like that. So whilst I knew how to build up a business and how to generate revenues, um, you know, various parts of that whole uh, chain, you know, billing and, and basically just, just improving the health of the business, I managed to get all of those insights from a very well put together, uh, diverse board of, uh, of people. Um, and then the realization came, right, that I was not the only one who had kind of overlooked that previously, that there was this opportunity to really add a lot of wisdom and experience, expertise, um, perhaps even from other sectors, as I did it as well, into your business in a very cost effective way. You don't need to employ lots of people. You can actually get a lot of that advice in-house um, in this kind of construct, either an advisory board or a corporate board. And then through our um, exposure to a lot of mainly senior executives through, through Dart's day-to-day -day business um, and countless questions, whether we cover board mandates or not, which we did just to a very small amount of volume, um, we just realized that there was, a, there was a, a gap in the market. There was far too little transparency around boards. Most boards were really um, very one-dimensional and seemed to be more of a box-checking exercise rather than you know, leveraging them and using them for what they could be used. Um, and there was just no, no flow, no transparency in the market because most of these board positions were just going to family and friends of, of the uh, company owners or founders. Um, so the companies were missing out on a big opportunity and many of these people who were willing to be part of doing something disruptive or something exciting were just not getting access to these opportunities because there was nowhere to find them. Um, so that's really where the idea of Board Owl was born. We realized we needed to change something um, on the traditional executive search model, because of course, traditional executive search is a very white gloves approach. Um, it's low volume, it's high touch, um, so it's expensive because it needs a lot of resources. Um, and we felt that on a board level, given certain aspects to that, differentiators uh, to executive search, that with the use of technology, we would be able to drastically reduce the price of that process and the involvement of, of human interaction to make it much more efficient and much more accessible and to have a bigger impact to many more startups. So basically what you're trying to do is a semi-automated platform where <clears throat> startups 
can find the talent for supervisory board or an advisory board. And on the other hand, people with the right talent, with the right skills can be found by those companies or the other way around. That's right. Exactly. So first and foremost, we enable matching between those two sides. Um, then we educate both sides because founders and company owners need to realize, need to, need to learn not only about, you know, the, the impact that a well put together board can have and what does a well put together board look like. Um, but also many people who are looking to embark on their board careers, whether it's alongside their executive career, typically in an advisory board function, or whether they're in a second stage after their executive career, looking to build a portfolio of corporate board mandates. Um, many people love the idea of being on a board, but they don't actually know what it means to be on a board. And so we help them learn about that. Um, we run a number of workshops, uh, also peer-to-peer networking sessions, um, and that leads into the third element of what we do, which is which is uh, community building. So helping people to learn and grow together. Mm -hmm. As you said, so um, a supervisory function, because we have to tell the people, so 80% right now listening to us are outside of Germany. And if they're inside of Germany, they may not necessarily have an idea of what a supervisory board is, but those members of the board may it be a GmbH, an AG, or something else. They're only there really to supervise on behalf either of the owners of the company, meaning if you have enough shares, you can put somebody on the board there. But also, um, if you're big enough, at least in Germany, there have been there will be more and more people from the Works Council brought in. And um, actually... At the end, there will be an equal representation between the people who work for the company and the people who own the company. Um, so as we said, it's a complete supervisory functions. They're all non-executives. They have the job to really look what the executives are doing on behalf of other stakeholders. That That is a difference compared to the years, right? That's correct. Yes. So um, I think you, you bring up a very important point. Um, boards can be can be very, very different, right? Uh, you, you bring up Germany. Germany is probably one of the most complex countries when it comes to boards. And there are lots of different types of boards. You've got the supervisory boards, you've got the power of the workers council and their representation on the on the supervisory board. Um, what we are not doing Uh, certainly at this stage, is the executive board. So it really is all non-executives. Um, the executive board typically is composed of operational people in the company, um, and that's what we're not doing. We are focusing on all of those around. So the big difference between the supervisory board and the advisory board is that the supervisory board really carries the responsibility and the liability for the company as a whole. Um, and so it's it's a very formal setup. Um, countries vary massively in terms of, you know, what what the rules or what the responsibilities and the liabilities are of supervisory board members. 
Um, but in most countries, it really is the case that they carry the responsibility. So they really have to, it's a governance function, right? They're overseeing the CEO and CEO's um, executive team, making sure they're not doing anything bad, uh, anything illegal, um, but also looking to uh, steer them in the right direction. Um, and the advisory board is much more of, as the name says, a, a sparring unit. So I would say the corporate board typically is more constant for a longer period of time. The advisory board, so advisory board members do not carry any liability or responsibility. They are there to help the founder team or the owner or the CEO to innovate, um, to break into new markets, to improve processes, um, but really as in a capacity as advisor. And actually just on that note, I think many people don't, don't know this, but if you look at, actually I can't think, think of a single unicorn uh, worldwide um, which does not have some form of advisory board. Um, you know, Alpha has one, uh, Meta has one, at least one, um, that even, you know, big health tech firms as well, like Moderna and stuff, they all have some form of advisory board or multiple advisory boards. Sometimes they're called scientific advisory boards. Sometimes they're regulatory advisory boards. Um, but many companies have them. They're just not always that prevalent. Um, with startups, they're very favorable, sometimes even preferable uh, to supervisory boards because with an advisory board, you can actually make yourself uh, look more investable to investors because you can show the caliber of the people you've got on board with you who believe in your products and are helping you build it. Um, so investors will be very happy to see some high caliber uh, or highly qualified advisors on your advisory board. Um, and the other benefit is, you know, whilst it should be a formal arrangement, a formal agreement, and we always advocate that they should be paid in some form, and there are multiple ways how that can be done. Early stage, you don't have much cash, so you can play with some equity or similar instruments. Um, there is no, you know, there is no, as we mentioned earlier, so no liability. Um, and so that's reassuring for somebody getting involved with such an early stage startup. Um, but it's also a little bit uh, more relaxed for the founding team who don't need to be, you know, feel as though they're reporting to somebody. They're rather, you know, counting on an advisory board to help them. I would actually think of an advisory board as getting a lot of very senior consultants for a very cheap price. Um, no, not necessarily that they have been consultants in the past, but they do have a certain know-how with which they can help you as a founder. There is there is some truth to that. Yeah, I I, I don't like to use the word cheap um, because, uh, and actually in some cases, you'll see that, uh, especially where equity is, is involved, um, an advisory board or advisory board members can do very well after their contribution to, uh, to a startup. Um, and what's interesting is that, you know, normally as, as the link is being created, compensation is high up there on the agenda and, you know, it should be, people should be fairly rewarded for their, for their uh, added value and input. Um, but it's so interesting to see that, you know, already quite soon after their involvement uh, or, or joining an advisory board, the feedback we get about what 
they get out of it themselves. I mean, they feel, don't just feel, they learn so much from the other advisors on the board, from the founders themselves, what it means, you know, the trials and tribulations of startups and everything that at some point everybody's in it because they're just loving being part of it and and really, you know, get also put, put in blood, sweat and tears. I think, you know, I mentioned earlier, it's it's a little bit more tactical. It's a bit more short term. You can change your advisory board as the company develops and you should because at a very early stage you'll need different skills and input than you will at a later stage um but i would differentiate it very much from the consultants that you mentioned because consultants come in do a job and get out and they don't see things through whereas your advisory board will be with you for some time and and share that responsibility for things working out mm -hmm. um i would be interested we've now talked such a lot about the use of boards for potential startups, young companies. How does it actually look for the people who would like to go there? Basically, my understanding is right now, you find Bordeaux some way. For me, it took a little trip to Barcelona at EU Startup Summit last year, spring to actually find you guys. And um, then um, you have to register. You are, my understanding is you have, are required to take some classes to t to become a board member. And then at one point, you as a person will be matched with a startup. Is that about, is that about the process you're working with right now? Uh, kind of, yeah. So at the moment, we do not require you to take um, any of our courses um, because some, some people who join the platform are, are already highly experienced board members. We do encourage it for those people who have not yet sat on boards, either advisory boards or corporate boards. And we also work with some educational partners, um, some well-known business schools um, to whom we get, uh, or with which we get access to their more heavy-duty board modules as well. Um, but basically, the, the process is the following. So um, you find us, uh, you start the sign-up process as part of that, and this is where the technology bit comes in, so this algorithm works, you build your profile. It's self-assessment at the moment. This is going to be changing quite soon as we're changing the model to be predominantly by invite, so members inviting other members and vouching for them. Right now, you can still get onto the platform if you don't know another member. We will keep that door open, um, but it will be a slightly higher hurdle going forward as we are we're, uh, growing quite quickly. Um, and you fill in a, you, you basically do a self-assessment. So you have a limited number of points that you can allocate yourself um, in three key areas, three key categories. One is your sector and functional expertise. The other one is your geographical expertise. And finally, um, but an element we find very, very important, um, also your personal traits and values. So we think that those are equally important to making sure that you get the right fit between a board member and a, and a company owner or the other board members. Um, there's a few other things that you can select, so you can basically narrow down um, what what opportunities will come your way. So you can say how many days you're available per year, whether you're interested in you know, what type of um, startups uh, or firms that you would be interested in being on the board of, um, compensation preferences and things like that. Um, and then and then yeah, following a short call with one of our founding team uh, just to kind of verify everything and give you some tips on how to hone your profile further, you're then live on Bordell's platform and part of its community and have access to all of our 
document library guides on compensation, things like that, um, and access to all of the uh, peer-to-peer networking sessions in person and online, um, and ultimately are matchable. So as opportunities come up um, and uh, Hedwig, our our wise owl uh, matches you with opportunities. You will be you will be notified. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see. I see. Um, for the entrepreneurs out there right now listening, can you give us a tiny bit of an overview? What kind of people are right now registered as potential supervisory advisory board members here on? board owl in switzerland is it mostly focused europe is it mostly focused dach or gs a region or do you get people from all over the world here we actually have people from all over uh, which initially wasn't well it's always been the plan <laughs> but it wasn't our our uh, it wasn't it basically happened a lot sooner than we expected so Uh, that's happened partially through some very strong collaborations with uh, some startup incubators and accelerators, uh, the likes of F10, Seed Stars, um, in which we were we were educating startup founders um, on boards and how to put them together. And then many of them got on the platform and uh, yeah, thought it was a good idea and, and sought their advisory board members and corporate board members. Um, one thing led to another, and today we have members on our platform from, we are still very, very, I would say very focused on pretty, nearly half of our platform is based in either Switzerland or Germany, um, and the rest equally spread across UK, um, US, Asia, um, and in certain cases, Middle East and Africa as well. You asked about the types of people as well. Sorry, I, I nearly forgot that. So um, with Bored Owl, we have decided that given the fact that you can learn so much from different sectors, it was by design that we decided to go completely, you know, all sector. Um, and we have members on our platform representing pretty much any sector you can, you can uh, imagine. We have people who have been in consulting, um, up to a very senior level and have advised CEOs of uh, large companies on key strategic topics. We've got people who have um, worked for you know some of the, the largest blue chips and developed strategy for them in CEO roles, CFO, COO. We have people from uh, venture capital and private equity who have um, invested in companies and helped them scale and can... Um, Uh, advise founders on how best to fundraise or, you know, how best to build their teams as they grow. Um, we've got people from technology, um, ex-CTOs um, or current uh, software developers um, who can also provide input from that side. We have people from the fashion industry who have worked for the likes of Gucci and Prada, um, we have people from healthcare, global head of um risk, uh, ethics and compliance for one of the largest pharmaceutical firms. I mean, it, it's really that that broad and diverse. Um, strong emphasis on tech, as many companies look for uh, tech nowadays. There's usually some kind of tech element to, uh, to most startups, um, but generally really cross-sector. Mm -hmm. 
I see everybody who'd like to learn more, they can go down here in the show notes. They will, of course, have your LinkedIn profile as well as the website of Board Owl. And to close up this interview, we have our two usual questions. Of course, first, are you open to talk to external investors? We are. Uh, and timing of our, our call is, is excellent. Uh, people might be listening to this even in the future. So always open to talk. Um, and right now, especially as we're just in the process of uh, closing our seed round, uh, we have a actually Berlin-based venture capital fund who has joined, joined the round, um, which is great. Um, and a number of other uh, sort of smart money investors uh, from the HR, HR tech space. So yes, always open to talk to people who would like to be part of our journey and help us have a strong impact uh, in the success of uh, startups globally. Mm -hmm. And are you guys currently hiring? We are. Um, and uh, here as well, we are always open to uh, great talents, whether it's in Zurich, where the headquarters is, in Barcelona, or anywhere in the world, actually, as we all embrace this sort of uh, flexible working setup. Mm -hmm. I see Zurich or Barcelona uh, snowboarding or water skiing, right? <laughs> <laughs> You've seen through me. <laughs> Seriously. I see. <laughs> I see. Daniel, thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking to you. All the best and let us know when your seed round is closed. And of course, we'll have it in our startup news. Thank you, Joe. It's a great pleasant pleasure. It was a great pleasure to talk to you today and uh, look forward to speaking again before too long. Pleasure was all mine. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye. That's all, folks. Find more news, streams, events, and interviews at www.startuprad.io. Remember, sharing is caring.